as a Christian in a post-Christian, like anti-Christian culture, I don't know about you, but Christmas always radically blows my mind. Here's why. Because for once a year, Jesus Christ is everywhere. Are we still shocked about the songs that are be playing on like public radio? The stuff that people are saying out there, it's insane. Jesus is completely inescapable. Like I said, singing, talking about him. We're driving by people's plastic statues of Jesus in their yard. Do we not find that odd? There's a plastic Jesus. There's a plastic Jesus. There's a little up Jesus. It's everywhere, his birth and his virgin mother. So insanely enough, collective church, one may accept him or reject him. Some here may affirm him or some may deny him. But for this holly jolly season, no one, no one can ignore him. So then, what about you? I want to ask about you with, with seven pounds, 10 ounces, baby Jesus, so blatantly in your face, how have you considered what any of this means for your life, for your 2019, for your Christmas season? Every Christmas, I don't know if, if you remember this quote, but I'm always reminded of this quote by Larry King every single year. This is what Larry King says. He goes, I would like to ask him, Jesus, if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. The answer would define history for me, a.k.a. change everything. I bet for anybody here right now who, who don't follow Jesus, indeed the answer to this question would provide for you some outrageous certainty to Christ's claims of divinity, of life and death. It would completely ground the existence of this God. But dare I say it wouldn't help. It wouldn't help prove what kind of God he was, what kind of God Jesus was. For me, and I don't know about for you, what helps establish that is not who's necessarily or where, or excuse me, how he was born, but where he was born, where Jesus was born. So today for our Christmas service, I'd like to take a little bit of time and just focus on a barn. I want to talk about a barn today, to focus on the two verses in Luke chapter two, which established the birthing place of God. But I thought an exciting way to do this today would give you a bunch of all riveting, mysterious, unknown facts about American barns. Does this sound exciting? What do you think, huh? I bet you wish you would have left town early now. Get your journals out, because this is my exciting Christmas gift for you, okay? Point number one, <laughs> about American barns. Do you know why barns are, most barns are painted red? Yes, why? Thank you. Because back in the day, farmers couldn't afford red paint. So you know what they did? They'd project the wood and conserve it. They'd make this orange, they had this orange colored oil that was mixed from certain seeds and lime and milk, making the color red. How exhilarating. Now, sadly, that's the only facts on barns I could find. So our, everything ends here, but that's okay because I believe we have a general understanding as humans of what barns are. It's earthly smells, it's cobwebs, it's soft, muddy floor, it's beastly noises. Simply, barns are disgusting. They are disgusting. And yet, this disgusting, most filthy place on earth is exactly where the most pure being was born. So we have God in flesh and God in filth. 
That's Christmas. God in flesh, God in filth. So now what we have to do is go, why? Why this way? Well, we can derive biblically because so many had to return to Bethlehem or the area for the census. See, if you're unfamiliar with what a census is, we just got done reading about it, think of a numbering or a registration system for people, normally used for taxing or military purposes. But because it was demanded, this city was overflowing with people, like a town that would host the Olympics. There's just overflowing or like the opposite of LA at Christmas time, okay? And this is what Luke 2 says, verse 7. Because there was no place for them at the inn. Now, traditionally, for some, the word inn, and I know at least it does for me, it conjures up this like sanitized, cute Pacific Northwest, like Airbnb, like it's got wallpaper and good coffee, like whatever, like that's what a, an inn, or you're staying in an inn, oh my gosh. Even the word inn in the original language, it means guest room. It means guest room. It doesn't mean barn, or there doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that there's this idea that there's these places around that they would actually be able to go in and stay at that were so disgusting. So let me explain this. How then, if we can derive from that biblically what it looks like, what all this is kind of coming to, then how can we derive biblically where they were? If we know they couldn't be here, we know they weren't an Airbnb, where were they? How do we know they were actually in a barn? How do we understand the nativity scene? Why do we, so many people think it's something so domesticated? Because truly don't know exactly what it was. This guest house, red walls, so on and so forth. And actually, I'll just go on as far as saying this. Maybe it wasn't even a barn at all. If you notice in the Gospels, there was zero mention of animals, cattle, or sheep anywhere in any of the four Gospels regarding his birth. So where do we get this notion? Where do our nativities come from? Verse 6. Read verse 6 with me. I'm going to set it up a little bit more. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And I'll read verse 7, I guess, as well. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a what? Manger. That's it. This presence of a manger crystallizes everything. Check out this Christmas painting. I want you guys to look at this. Okay, so this is actually a very helpful Christmas painting. For one thing, it's a bunch of white people. Okay, so ignore that. It's a bunch of white people, and apparently one of them is an X-Men who's able to have like glowing stuff come out of their hands. So ignore those two facts. Bunch of white people who are mutants. Ignore that. But actually, this painting does offer quite a bit of help. It does get things right. There's no wise men present. So anybody here who has wise men, I say this everywhere, every year, if your nativity has wise men around it, break them. Smash that porcelain. Go to your mom's house and her nativity's going to be set up. Take it and smash it and you call her a heretic right away. <laughs> There's no wise men there. But second, the thing that I think is helpful with this painting is a cave. This is the best educated guess from history and scholarship of what a barn probably would have been like. Now, we know a manger is a feeding bowl. That's history. All of us know that, Christian or not. It's a feeding bowl. And it would have been filled with what? Slobber and leftover food. So then, why would I dedicate an entire little teeny sermonette to a barn? Because truthfully, does it matter if Jesus was born in a hospital or it's L.A. if Jesus was born in like a birthing pool with a doula. Yeah, yeah, sorry, moms. I know you. Or does it matter if Jesus was born in a barn? Does it affect our Christmas? Does it affect our faith? Who cares? Does it really affect anything if he was born in a barn? Yes. 
with a yes, yes, a resounding yes. And let me say this, because this is the worst, worst news we could ever hear. Yes, you heard me correctly. This is the worst news one could ever hear. Because this radical incarnation is a radical intervention. God to go through such great lengths only proves there was no other way. His invasion is not because it's a societal, a relational, historical, or financial problem. His entire reason for doing this is because it's an internal problem. If you guys have read Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, it has one of the best English character descriptions in all of literature. This is how Charles Dickens describes Scrooge. I love this paragraph. It's a little beefy, but it's so worth it. This is, it's so good. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster, the cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red and his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw in one degree at Christmas. Pay attention to this. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. So why would I explain that? Because there's little outside influences that could change Scrooge, and it is the same for us. If the greatest threat to our humanity and our eternity was external, then truly Christmas would have happened in an entirely different way. God would have just sent a bunch of money this way, or he would have just defeated something here, or a thunderbolt there, or a bunch of a pack of bears that way, whatever it could have possibly been. But it's a human condition. Sin is the undefeatable enemy. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Friends, this is the worst, most frightening news we could possibly ever hear. This is the uncuddly part of Christmas. That our hearts and our souls and our spirits, and pay attention, were and are just as filthy as that of a barn. I want us to make that connection. And for some reason, it's the chosen place of God. Then making this also the greatest, most comforting, glorious news anybody could possibly behold. C.S. Lewis says it better than I could. He says, in the Christmas story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the nights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. That is Christmas truth. So if I may, I want to give us a couple barnyard manger meditations for our Christmas consideration. Okay, before we respond, before we go into Christmas, manger meditations, write it down. Manger, Lisa, write it down, manger meditations, M&M, here we go. I want us to realize this because we have to be aware of how God interacted then is how he interacts now. His interactivity then responds or shows us how his activity happens today. So first, barnyard meditation, don't escape. Do not escape. This Christmas season, the rest, the rest of the year, 2019, a lot of other faith systems, philosophies, or imaginations will offer you an escape. An escape from the flesh, from the physical, from the dirt, from the pain, from the mess. But that is not the way of the incarnation. That is not Christmas truth. 
God enters the world becoming physical by doing that, that reassures us that everything spiritual, that beauty we want, that grace that we want, that wonder that we want, does not set itself against our mess or our pain. Do not escape. So for anyone here who wants to escape this Christian from loneliness, from senseless hurt, from the frustration of not being who you are or where you want to be vocationally, possibly the bullying from family members, where your mother may ask you, do you have a man yet, sweetie? Or where your, your family may bother you while you've given up on a certain career here and gone to a career here. Christmas tells us to be present to all of it. Any form of escape is anti-incarnational. You could say it this way, it's anti-Christmas. Do not escape any pain that you have this Christmas season. One priest says it like this, The incarnation does not provide us with a ladder by which to escape the ambiguities of life and scale the heights of heaven. Rather, it enables us to burrow deep into the heart of planet Earth and find it shimmering with divinity. So then if we don't escape, then the next birthing place of God brings us to consider how we embrace it. Because with God is with us physically in our earthliness and our filth, then we must celebrate Christmas and sing joy to the world and drink eggnog till our head hurts without denying or trivializing that God's glorious presence and his filth in this barnyard world can coexist. Meaning Christmas is the challenge to be present because of his presence. Now Emmanuel, God with us, doesn't immediately, and I hope we realize, consummate joy. I think there's this misconception with Christianity or Christmas that just because God came that, there's, that we're missing out on some incredible automatic justice. Where, if I truly believed there would be some incredible joy I'd be experiencing. Our world still looks much the same. That's because Christmas does not promise that heaven will be here. That's a wrong promise. That is a lie. Christmas doesn't promise that heaven is here. Christmas promises that God is here. And if God can be found in barns, that means God can also be found in churches, kitchens, cathedrals. But that also means God is found in abortion clinics, prisons, gutters, and ghettos. God being a barn changes everywhere we look for God to be. So we have to start preaching to ourselves is that God's presence has the power to transform us. It has the power to transform us. How does that happen? It means we are no longer alone in our selfishness. It means we are no longer alone in our addictions, our jealousy, our anger, our fears. There is someone more alluring and stronger than our present wants. To believe in the power of his presence, that it can change life, is to believe in the power of the Christmas gospel. We are missing or lacking in something when we do not believe an answer to this is his presence. So, I guess I would ask right now, if you are holding any sort of anger, addiction, jealousy, fear, frustration, what are you holding? And if you think you have none, I will just say this, we are deceiving ourselves. I would encourage you to investigate small, the painful, the mess, and be assured because as you search, you will find God's presence there. I want us to be a church that every time something heavy or gross happens, you know what we do? We ask, where is Jesus in it? Where is Jesus at it with every heavy situation? So let us pray that over you this morning.
Let us pray that over you this morning. For those who fears you'd want to be with family, for those who are lonely, those who are frustrated, will you let us pray over you this morning how you can be able to have the assurance that God is there in the small and in the pain? If you need that prayer this morning, I will just say this. There's going to be people on that side, people on that side. And I said this last week, but it's also true for today, more true for today than last week. But this could be the last time you get prayed over for the rest of the year. What would it look like to go there and say, God, I need to be able to know that your presence and the assurance of your presence and the absolute messy frowning of the world. The next Christmas consideration is Jesus was born in a manger where brute animals come to eat. I hope the symbolism is not lost, meaning communion. Communion is this very truth. Consume this truth, get it into our guts, devour it. Communion is that symbolism for us today. It's up here in my right and left in double stack cups, but it's a unique form of God's presence in our daily lives, meaning internally and externally wars are raging, but we are communally partaking of this truth meal. When we take of this truth meal, we are saying nothing sentimental about Christmas. I'm sick of the sentimentality, but don't get me wrong. I love tinsel and all that crap, but I'm sick of the sentimentality. We are taking this truth meal saying nothing sentimental, but that there is only hope in the Christmas gospel. And then lastly, I'll encourage this in this small devotional, is let us sing like the angels did. From the moment in Luke chapter 2 they spoke of God, the moment they spoke of him, his coming, his swaddling, his barnyard birth, and his manger, when they're done saying manger, you know what they do? The angels couldn't help it, and they burst into worship. And that is true of us today as well. Look at Luke chapter 2, 10 through 11. Excuse me, 10 through 14. I love this, that if we understand Christmas and the carols and the praises and the songs will naturally flow. It says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be with all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory. This is how we need to sing today. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then when it was all over, the shepherds shouted at one another at Luke 2.15, let us go. Let us go. This morning, this Christmas, may we have the same urgency to behold our God who is present with us, even in our mess, in our barnyard filth. That's a Christmas truth that can change your heart. Amen?